Welcome again to the Transient Identity Podcast. This is your host, Albert Thompson, where we obsess over everything uh, consumer. And today I have the esteemed pleasure of having a, a good friend and colleague of mine, uh, Damien Pelliccioni um, from Reverie Joining. Damien, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Albert. Absolutely. And listen, before we sort of get into the, the, the topic, which I'll introduce in a second, just kind of tell me or explain sort of your role at uh, Reverie, and then maybe give us a quick soundbite in terms of what you guys are as a platform. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Damian Pelliccioni. I'm the CEO and one of four fabulous co-founders of Reverie. We're the first global LGBTQ streaming network. Uh, We are direct consumer on all over-the-top television devices like Apple TV, Chromecast, Roku, Amazon Fire, mobile versions on iOS and Android and desktop. And we also have live broadcast channels from everywhere from Comcast, um, to Samsung TV, Evo, um, Zumo, you name it, we're all over the map. Uh, we're currently available in over 225 million households and devices across the globe. Wow, wow, it's impressive and it's, it's amazing to sort of watch the ascent you guys have made from the early days of work, working together. So let's get into, you know, the topic of the podcast, you know, LGBTQIA. You know, as I said, WTF is the I plus A. So (laughs) (laughs) obviously this acronym just continues to expand. I remember when it was just gay and lesbian, then it was LGBT, then the Q got added. Uh, I mean, so it's fascinating sort of watching the evolution of culture. And and in in recent years, it's uh, without equivocation, uh, we witnessed the infusion of the, the LGBTQs in our society. You know, this, the stereotypical gay community gave way to LGBT, as I said, then in, then turned into an LGBTQ, uh, which is, you know, growing and expanding in numerous circles. And you even referenced that, hey, you know, the, the preferred word we tend to use is queer, a once word that was highly controversial and derogatory, uh, but more and less now is more in sort of inclusive. So you've used it, a lot of other of our uh, partners in the space have used it, and then you know, we're on the precipice of this LGBTQIA becoming the term with the I standing for intersex and the A yeah. for asexual and or allied. So all that becomes a, a, a mouthful. So before we get into the the added letters in the acronym, you know, let's talk, you know, first talking about the evolution of the community and really coming of age, um, n- not only U.S. population, but sort of global society. Yeah, look, here in the U.S., especially like domestically, like we've seen such a huge evolution and a lot of it has to do with demographics. You know, when you look at like Gen X, for instance, 13% of Gen Xers identify as LGBTQ. Um, but then when we jump to millennial, it's 20%. That's a huge jump. That's yeah. one in five millennials identifying as LGBTQIA. But then even bigger than that is Gen Z, you know, the 13 to 23 year old. The next generation, right? There's 30% of them will identify as LGBTQIA. And what's even more interesting is 52% will not declare a gender or will not declare a sexual orientation. Um, they do not declare themselves heterosexual or gay, lesbian, or IA or any of it, right? And they also do not want to be declared as male or female. It's really interesting. And it's not a comment really, I think, on the population's becoming um, more gay. I think it's, you know, more of a comment on the generations becoming more fluid and more yeah. non-binary. Yeah. Um, and just when we look at like how media has influenced it, you know, I study this stuff. I love data. You know, we've been on panels before. We always talk about like huge facts <laughs> and stats. Yeah. Like I do a cocktail after work. But um, 
Um, I, I find it really interesting because I use like my, I use my four-year-old niece as an example, right? And I see how she interacts with the world through mommy's phone. And she knows, she can't read and write, but through shapes and colors, she can log on to YouTube and find her favorite videos. How can she do this, right? It's literally because of the influence and the impact of media and her being able to interact and being digitally born as opposed to like someone like us in our age and that group us right now where we were, you know, we had to be digitally taught how to use these different devices because we didn't grow up with them. And so because of that, the exposure to either sexuality or gender is completely erased, right? The social construct, the societal construct of what that means to death those younger generations is completely erased and it's more normalized. Yeah. And so this is where we're seeing the community just expanding on the sheer fact that we have, um, we have, um, you know, we're, we're more seen than ever, more seen and more heard than ever before in history. Right, right. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to watch. I mean, um, so sort of, let's educate the masses, if you will, on the meaning of mm-hmm. intersex and asexual. Yeah. I, I, we'll get to allied in a second. I, I think that would be a yeah. great sort of baseline to start with. Yeah, you know, intersex is something very, you know, it's, it's a small, very small percent of the population. We actually have a couple of films that are intersex um, in, our, um, in terms of the genre. But it is someone who actually has both sexes. Um, and um, identifies with both, not necessarily non-binary, but has both um, sexual organs. Um, and so um, this is something that's really interesting. It's a really small, again, part of the population, but it's something where they're becoming more visible and more heard. And then when you look at the A, the asexual, that is someone who really defines themselves as, um, you know, they're not necessarily attracted to a certain gender, they're not necessarily attracted to a certain person, their sexuality comes from within. Um, you know, and again, very small part of the, the percentage of the population. It's very much, you know, I always say LGBTQIA, um, any of those acronyms for community among communities. Um, yep. So I think, you know, this is where using the word queer, you know, is more encompassing. We're trying to take back the power of that word because it did have <laughs> yes. a negative connotation. In, yep. um, you know, when you look at the older generation. Um, and I think it's really empowering because now it can be, you could be any sex, any gender, any orientation, and, um, and you can be an ally, you know, talking about the A, the A can have another meaning, you know, um, lots of folks are allies. One of my co-founders, Leah J. Daniels, she identifies as heterosexual and she is a super ally. She knows what it means to be marginalized as a woman of color. And so she really did this for herself, really to say, you know, I support other communities who are underrepresented. Um, and allies, you know, we need we need their support to exist yeah. to walk through this world. Absolutely. Because if we didn't, then um, we would just continuously be marginalized. You know, I think it is, I think it's really important that you know folks out there, and especially people creating content or creating music or creating podcasts, creating anything that you don't uh, who are LGBTQ and are creating something for an LGBTQ audience or a queer audience that they're not. Um, they're not alienating allies um, and the potential audience and the potential listeners or potential yep. consumers um, because they are such a huge part of where I think um, our, our, um, you know, our genre, our, um, um, our category, uh, if you will, can really exceed and excel. You know, even with us with Reverie, this is a quick aside example, that a big majority of our audience are not LGBTQ. Yep. They're actually allies and strong female allies. And a lot of female um, audience uh, for Reverie really watch because 
you know, just like I use the examples like RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's Drag Race is a mainstream show. That's why it's on VH1, yeah. right? Why it's capitalized so heavily. Um, why they have cons in New York, London, and Los Angeles. Um, you know, and majority of their audience are heterosexual people. They're, they're allies. They're allies to the communities. Like if you go to DragCon Los Angeles or DragCon New York, you're going to see more Midwestern housewives and their daughters who are taking makeup tutorials from drag queens um, because they're just, they're just the best at makeup, right? And, uh, and it's really interesting to see that, but it's also, I think, um, you know, a note on the times of where we're going and where all of this is just becoming more normalized and um, the stereotypes are kind of fading away. Gotcha. Now let's talk to us about, we're going to get into the ally a little bit more, but you know, part of the next thing was that when you start to look at hyper-connected societies, you know, the, the ones that we live within, and people move between cultures, the way teenagers move between technologies, um, you know, in, in you know, a lot of disadvantaged communities have, 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 are far more digitally driven because of their abilities to connect with anonymity, find desperate communities, all that stuff. You know, let's talk about the, the reshaping of culture or cultural context. You know, the same way that say hip hop culture or, or black culture has. Because when you add the allied notion is, and you add the factor of a multiplier influence, it's one thing just to influence within what's identified as a queer community. It's another thing to influence beyond into people who identify heterosexual, but carry the weight into their respective communities. It's essentially the power of the influence can be magnified, one, because the allied is a bigger audience, but two, it's the permeate the permutation in which in which a notion can move beyond. Let's take you know LGBTQs uh, uh, focus around fashion, and that most people yeah. know the average gay man dresses very well, or there's an expectation. So if you're going to take cues around style or even interior design, look, that's probably who who, who may be you know de- outfitting the house or deck or, or dressing you essentially. So that it, obviously a lot of that comes from an allied movement because of the, the masses for which you are consuming do not identify queer, but respect what the level of intellect or style or taste and tone that someone who is queer sort of brings to that particular narrative. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting example because look, if, let's say even just 10 years ago, a heterosexual man really took note of their style or took kind of let's say a lead from a gay man, they would be considered metrosexual, yes. right? There was this term that they were like, oh, yep, I, know it I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I hate that term. I actually think it's very dated, right? This very yeah, 10, it is. Years ago. It is. And it's not, it's not relevant today. Plus also when you, again, look at the demographics and the generations, you don't even know what that means, metrosexual, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not even a term of sexuality. That's what didn't no. It's like they use the term metrosexual. That's not, <laughs> what's never a comment on anyone's sexual orientation. It was a comment on someone's style, but why is the word sexuality included in that? Right. It makes no sense, right? So it's like, look, I think the world is changing in, in ways where you know, we have so many direct-to-consumer products that are targeting now hair loss, erectile dysfunction, fashion, um, skin care, yeah. makeup lines yeah. for men that are not targeting a gay male consumer. They're targeting a general male consumer who has concerns for their look, for their face, for their style, for their hair, for their, you know, um, sexual performance, right? It's not taboo anymore to be able to like talk about these things 
to have commercials around these things, to have influencers yeah, yeah. Um, who are who are heterosexual, like use these products and endorse these products. And I think like this is the world in which now we live in. And a lot of it has to do with the way in which we consume media and where we see these identities of what we typically used to think is heterosexual male um, walk through life. Now it's completely different, right? It's completely reshaped, it's reformed. And um, and it's a lot more accepted. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating because you know stereotypically, and some of these things became stereotypes that you know someone identifies queer, you know, as an aficionado for art, design, fashion, food. It, it was everything that was sort of high style, sort of in that lane. So obviously, you can imagine there's traditional sectors where there wasn't a lot of credibility. But what I wanted to you know get into is the overall impact and just consumerism because there's a certain level of diligence being done by someone who identifies queer, one, because what it may be what they know is not made for them. So they have to do, spend a decent, a decent amount of depth in discovering whether it will fit or not. Uh, there may be even a decent amount of diligence in innovation and adaptability. So what you end up finding someone who is exceedingly knowledgeable about a subject beyond, so they, they fall into the realm of an influencer type without even being a self-identified influencer. So the, the net impact is, look, you trust people who, who know the most and live it, breathe it, and have done the research so you don't have to. So talk to us about that notion of people within sort of the queer community that are that are reshaping as thought leaders on consumerism, because it, it goes beyond yeah. just the, the typical stuff that people want to throw, throw against the wall. Yeah, look, uh, a great example. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I have to say, I'm going to call him out right now, it's Aaron Walton, right? Like, Aaron Walton, a very stylistic, uh, dapper man. I take my cue from him, and I aspire to be like him in a way where he walks through life um, with just a sense of style. And, it's, and any type of brand he wears and he reflects, uh, he's obviously, you can tell he's done his diligence. And Aaron's just one example. You know, there's some other great folks, I'm trying to think, like influential folks, not just in business, but even just, let's say, in, like, social media, like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, an influencer that we recently worked with, um, even, like, a Tyler Oakley, you know, who is a, a major queer influencer, he endorses brands that support the community, yeah. that, um, that um, uh, have some sort of, like, identity to him, um, and, and not even just men. Let me also call on some women, too, some queer women who do this. Arlen Hamilton, Backstage Capital, you know, she's really supporting brands and companies. Again, a woman in business who has a certain stature, but she also knows who she is, right? She, she is, um, a ca she's always wearing casual clothes when she's on panels or when she's on, on the new cover of her book, you know, her, her, her kind of, um, uh, her, her look is always a hoodie, right? And she doesn't differ, she doesn't sway from that. She even talked about when she was on the cover of um, that company and they encouraged her to try to like dress up more feminine and wear makeup and like all these different clothes. And she's like, no, this is not me. I'm not yeah. going to adapt yeah. because this is not who I am, right? So it's like you've got men, women, gay, lesbian, straight, and everything in between. Or, or someone even like a Gigi Gorgeous, you know, who is a trans woman beauty influencer who endorses a lot of brands who, who hold like so much weight in the beauty influential world, you know, who, um, you know, again, you just look at her and she's like absolutely perfect in terms of her look, her makeup, right. her styling, 
everything. She takes it very seriously. She walks through life with this certain stature every day. And, um, and you know, these are folks who we look up to in a lot of ways that we see constantly, whether it's on social media, whether it's in traditional media, like I was saying, the cover of a magazine or in a book uh, or online. And we take our cues from folks who are thought leaders in this space. Right, right. Um, and, and I think it's really important that we see all different reflections and identities of what those kind of thought leaders can be and what they look like and how they dress. Um, where it's not just one thing anymore. The stereotypes are broken, and I think a lot of those barriers are now um, are, are now shut down. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's great to hear it. I mean, again, I think when I look at, reflect back on this conversation, I think the allied piece, you know, it seems to be the biggest game changer because a lot of it's going to move across the chasm of what is now or no longer sort of socially acceptable. Or what are the sort of sort of rules of engagement? And you know, look, some of these, some of the people in the outlined lane are, are, are quote unquote power brokers. Uh, you know, you've obviously seen it. You know, it's part of the reason you know Black America was able to come out of civil rights. You know, not just because of the the amount of you know protesting taking place, but uh, enough allies that said you know what has been gone on is unjust. Rules and and and, and stigmatism needs to be rewritten. Uh, to provide, you know, a pay for a new way of, of humanity sort of acquiescing. So it'd be very interesting to see as this, you know, LGBTQism continues to expand and the allied portion yeah. being a driving force, how it continues to sort of shape shift norms, largely in a way that's going to be uncomfortable for the part of society that doesn't want to see any further ascent. But the reality is, is that it's, it's, it's essentially emerging in every pocket of this particular country. Yeah, and look, right now, especially with the time that we're living in with COVID, it's only accelerated all this a lot further right. and a lot faster. Absolutely. You know, we're forced, we are forced to live now in a digital world, um, whether it's how you get your food, your groceries, <laughs> right. um, your medicine, your television, anything, any type of product or service that you would, um, you know, you would have had to interact with and go out into the world and find. It's now all coming towards you, but I think that this has really kind of accelerated this thesis of acceptance, social acceptance in a lot of ways. You know, we can't look at religion, we can't look at politics, we can't look at um, stereotypes and societal norms anymore um, because now we're forced to interact this way, you know, in a one-to-one kind of like a Zoom or a Google Hangout right. or what have you. And so that is really kind of forced the notion, I think, of, um, of breaking down these societal barriers of what we thought were stereotypes before and really create kind of what the next generation of what this country culturally will look like. And I think a lot of it is going to be forced into a digital landscape and a lot of it is going to be forced acceptance. And I say that as a positive term, not a negative term. I think yeah. forced acceptance is a good thing. It's something that we need right now, especially yeah. in the political climate that we live in, more important <laughs> than ever. Uh, you know, and it's time for us. It's time for real change. You know, absolutely. Well, look, this has been great. Conversation has been fascinating. You know, I always love chatting it up. We'll have to get back on the line and can and continue yeah. discussion in the next chapter. But uh, listen, stay safe, stay well. Give my best to uh, the other co-founders and uh, and uh, and Chris, you. and uh, we'll be talking again. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Albert. Absolutely.